0: Hi everybody, this is Kate with Rebirth. I am, I'm always excited when we have an episode and when we have a guest because I love stories. I love people's stories. I love when people choose to take, as Mary Oliver says, this one wild and precious life and use it, actually use it. And Dawn Schmelzer is one of those people. I've known her for a few years. There are few, I will say this, there are not many people that are teaching alchemical transformative yoga, which from the external perspective may appear very simple. And Dawn's one of those people. Um, I love tracking when she learns something, when she comes up against life and is asked to dissolve um, her conceptions and ideas or her her line of action. And I think these are all things that she'll talk about. She's going to talk about, she has a tremendous story about the, the changing locations of her yoga studio, which I I hope you make the time for, especially if you're in a place in your life right now where it doesn't add up. And you're like, why are things not working out? Listen to her story. And she talks about how the death of George Floyd changed her life. And she talks about her new balance with social media and her, her class, um, her course, uh, Inner Journey. And if you're listening to this when it airs, Inner Journey opens on August 23rd. And to talk more about that, thank you for listening to Rebirth. Enjoy our conversation with Dawn. Hi, You Found Rebirth with Kate Brenton. And today we have a fantastic guest with us. She is Dawn Smeltzer of the Mother Heart Sangha in Fishtown, just in the city of Philadelphia. She is also the producer and creator of the Inner Journey podcast and the Inner Journey course, which we'll talk a little bit more as you meet Dawn through this podcast and we'll direct you to her website. But that course starts August 23rd. So if your ears peek up during our conversation, just know at the end, we'll talk more about it and we'll also tag her website and you can reach out to Dawn if, if that's something that's calling to you. So thank you for finding us and sharing your your day or your evening. Dawn, how are you? Hey, sister. Thanks for having me. I mean, after I was on your podcast, I was like, who's going to let Dawn chit-chat? Because when you're the host, it's a different chit-chat, you know, sometimes. No. And you want to, at the risk of starting off
1: sounding like a complete weirdo, you want to know the question that I prepare for the most. Yeah, I do. And it's and it's not even like for interviews, it's for life it's that question, how are you?
0: <laughs> for serious. That question changed. Yeah. That question I wrote about that. Not well, it's not whatever. I did write about it about how that used to be a flippant question for me. You know, it was like an, it was like a greeting. And now it could be like a really deep dive of meeting somebody in the grocery store because you don't know where people are right now. Right. Totally. So I often think
1: of, okay, what, what of the responses I can give that's really truthful Mm -hmm. and doesn't answer the question directly. (laughs) So today my response to how are you (laughs) and is, um, that if I were, uh, in the, you know, animal, amphibian creature world, I would be a snake. Oh, you would? Yeah, because- For the
0: new listener, yeah, tell us why. Because I feel like
1: my whole body feels like a muscle and not like, not because I have a lot of muscles, but um, more like is working and becoming resilient, like my being is mm-hmm. becoming resilient. Mm -hmm. And because I'm experiencing a lot of shedding of skins and identities and little deaths without dying.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm a snake.
1: Who are you? (laughs) What animal are you?
0: (laughs) Today I'm definitely a winged one. mm. I love that. Yeah, I'm definitely feeling that you know there was um that perspective sore like some days are very grounded for me you know very practical um and today was a a container created that i could be more of a winged one right like Mm. slow down and i have to schedule like read a book (laughs) you know like that was on my i realized um I don't want to take up, I don't want to talk about you, but I realized that if you have so much going on, which doesn't mean um, that it's valid, you know, but you feel like you have a lot you need to attend to, that putting on my list, um, this is the day for this, something that simple, I'm like, oh, right, I'm not shirking my duties. When I was clear minded,
1: mm-hmm. I remembered
0: that this was a really important thing. Because sometimes if you have um, a busy morning or consolidated time, you'll, you'll first thing you'll cross off is the thing that actually feeds you. Absolutely. That's the truth. So um, I wanted to describe, I was thinking about how I, for the listener, like I kind of in, invite people to be on here that I don't really have to, or don't desire to try to box in, you know, so that, okay. you know, there's not a lot of <laughs> prep for the call, you know what I mean? Cause I know you pretty well, but I wanted to share with the listener that one of your email sign offs, I'm not sure if it's currently still your choice, so you can update this if it has been shed, but one of them used to be, and maybe still is, With Great Care.
1: That is absolutely true, still true.
0: And when I listen to your pod, I've been in Dawn's um, studios, and I want you to talk a little bit about the transition of that last one to the new one, because I think that'll orient people to you and then and then we could just journey on into where you are now um but i i also when i listened to her podcast which was birth during lockdown that's correct right or like really yes, started, started grooving first week of quarantine
1: no actually the first week of quarantine i watched all of season one of rupaul's drag race on the south and it was the second week of
0: that makes sense (laughs) gotta go down to rise up you know what I mean you gotta like lay horizontal to be able to hold a new space um when I listened to her podcast I thought oh with great care I was like, of course Dawn would create craft a possibly detached space just because you're not with somebody right with great care so that it really felt like I've listened to a few of them and I'm like, I'm either learning something or I feel like I'm being really held or just the selection of quotes or, or interviews or the compilation. So um, I am someone who doesn't have a lot of time for podcasts although I enjoy them and I definitely recommend yours. Oh, um. thanks and it's funny because you'll hear
1: how curated um, Inner Journey podcast is in the beginning like here's a sweet joke and here's a story <laughs> and here's an anecdote and then by the end it's like alright, shit's getting real. <laughs> <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <this brutality>.
0: and <laughs> <laughs> that's how those containers go. That's right. That's how they get burnt So could you, for the listener, give us I mean, I'm going to tell them one episode. I don't remember what the title is, but Rumi's episode. Oh. And that's your dog. What's the yeah. title? Is that easily findable? You know how sometimes people scroll, it's actually not that easy to find things.
1: Yeah, it's called Rumi the Great. Mm, that's, right. yeah.
0: that's one I, of the things I started calling her. I'm going to let people go find out her story. Cause I want to talk to you about you. Is there any other episode you recommend in this moment, not to put any episode above another or an interview or a moment, but is there another one that you would encourage people to listen to?
1: Absolutely. Um, the second to the last one that was made, we all need to be on a move. Um, mm-hmm. it is, I still cannot believe that I got to talk to these folks on that episode. Um, Yeah. So we all need to be on a move. I think it's episode 22.
0: So we're going to, I think what we'll do is chit chat a little bit about the story of, and I'm going to use this word purposefully, the collapse and expansion of the Sangha. Yes. Yes would that be fair? And I want people to listen to what that means. So can you just, because part of this podcast is about the power of intuition as an actual skill, not a remote skill that somebody else has, but that we all have an inner voice, whatever we want to describe it. And in some of life's difficult moments, it's really only that voice as no matter how unpractical it may sound, depending on your relationship with it, that is really the one that has the guidance. So um, would you share a little bit about
1: that? I would love to. I'd love yeah. to. that's what you feel called to ask too, and because it feels um, it feels like there are threads of intuition, divine intervention, um, loss. There's a lot there. and so Mother Heart has had now four studios, two of them. Exist at the same time right now and upstairs and the downstairs. Of course, they're closed, but um, the second place that I moved into was on Girard Ave. And I, even just the beginning of opening this space, I had saved up $3,000. And the reason I, well, that ended up being exactly what was needed to open for mm-hmm. one. Um, first month, last month in security deposit of this place that is now called Kofi Latte. I believe it's a little coffee mm-hmm. shop. And it, I mean, you know, it looked like a, like a row home, you know? Mm-hmm. So I opened up and I didn't want to depend on the banking system. I wanted to depend mm-hmm. on the divine. I wanted to depend on a community, even though I hadn't quite built that community. And when I say that, I hadn't built that yoga community at all. I had been teaching for, you know, I don't know, 15 or 16 years out in the suburbs, um, out in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and, and then also out west in Albuquerque. So I just moved to Philly And why I thought I could start a yoga studio of a style that not many people were familiar with in a place that I had no connections is beyond me. Mm -hmm. But I opened up and it was even the first month after opening. and And essentially opening just meant I showed up and, you know, held space for a class that had no students for a long time. You know, and then I opened up the first month that rent was due. I was five hundred dollars short. I mm-hmm. got and a check that was from a fundraiser six months before um, oh, wow. that I hosted for something completely different, and the person had just forgotten to send it, and the check was for five hundred and one dollars. Oh wow. The next month, I did better. I was $225 short. Um, I got an overdraft reimbursement from a bank I was a member of a couple years before, and that was for $228. And after that, I was good for the time that I rented that space, which was three years. And I outgrew the space in many different ways. Um, And so I'd spent a long time looking for another space. And I found one. And it was on the same street. It's um, what's now Current. Um, It's like a cider bar on Girard. And then it was just this warehouse. And I looked at it. And I had a vision for it. There were red flags, but, you know, I kind of plowed ahead and um, a week before I was supposed to move into that studio and I had already given up my current lease that I had and um, a week before it happened to be the same week that I received a pretty serious health diagnosis it was also the same week that my mom passed away. Mm. Um, the landlords told me that there was a septic problem. <laughs> the, <laughs> the shit was literally hitting the fan, <laughs> <laughs> And they um, tore up the five-year lease that I had signed. And literally. Literally. And yeah. actually, they sent me home with a with the carpet from Afghanistan. It's <laughs> a whole other story. Um, <laughs> they just didn't, they didn't like, they couldn't be comfortable with me crying. I can so they like the guy of the couple who was going to be my landlord, just like, um, actually his wife said, can't we give her something? How about this rug? <laughs> and the guy looked at the rug that was obviously expensive and said, oh, honey, isn't there anything else? (laughs) But out we walked with um, a check that was my, you know, deposit that they returned to me, thank goodness, and this rug. (laughs) And I, it broke. That was it. I decided to let go of having the studio. Um, I didn't have the energy to look for another place and I knew I needed to take care of my health and I, I really needed to grieve. Um, so I thought what I was doing was, um, just letting go entirely, which I was, um, but definitely faced a lot of, uh, identity crisis. Um, And I traveled, and I spread my mom's ashes in the Mediterranean Sea, and um, another, one of my beloved students, um, on my way back from that trip, um, I got the news that she had completed suicide. Um, And so there was another element of kind of compounded grief, and so I didn't, I didn't really do anything for a little bit. I, um, it was like a three month period, and just grieving essentially, and sitting with those uh, I, loss of identity. And I got a call from a realtor. I have no idea this realtor named Andrew. I still don't even know what real estate <laughs> to start me with, but this guy named Andrew, which was ironic because that's my brother's name and my dad's name and his dad and his dad. He called and said, um, are you looking for another studio? And I was pissed mm-hmm. for some reason. And I just said, no. <laughs> and, <I don't> <laughs> and then I called back and said, well, what's the square footage <laughs> Mhm and there it began in um in the current location and it was called Mother Heart Studio and it became Mother Heart Sangha. Sangha, you know that's the word for community. Um, yeah, that's I haven't thought about that in a long time. That was um like four years ago,
0: mm-hmm. years ago for me that story is so powerful because we 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 I, I'll just say I when you're on the journey that any one of those in the beginning could have been enough to mm-hmm. feel like I've shown up mm-hmm. you know I've shown up and there's a external messaging of like there's a five-step program and you get to the top and then you make a million dollars you know which is not even I'm saying part of your goal but I'm just saying like that is what you're hearing when you're pumping your gas and you're like why is there a tv on you know so I find it incredible what's interesting when you said snake and resilience and I was like oh man she doesn't even know this question I'm asking but some people can say I'm well it doesn't matter it doesn't have to be comparative I, I feel like that's a muscle you are have are and have been growing for a long time and I think it's really Potent for someone else to hear that, because when you get knocked that hard, no matter who you are, it could be the person listening that might be like, Well, my story isn't as dramatic and it's like it doesn't matter it's how you feel right mm-hmm. it's how you feel, and that you didn't do anything wrong if you feel like you got knocked mm-hmm. like that might just be the muscles that we need to grow it doesn't mean your idea was wrong, you know it doesn't mean that you know and when you let go, you really you really let go right like
1: That's a really really important
0: piece.
1: Yeah, I really let go. In that time, I even went back to I I had the most humbling, humiliating moment in that time because I went back to uh, catering, like some restaurant work. And I catered this one wedding and I was not, you know, I'm in my 40s. I used Mm -hmm. to do that stuff when I was in my 20s and my feet were hurting and I was catering this wedding and one of the students who graduated from my teacher training program was at the wedding and I'll never forget the expression on the face. And I, I guess, yeah, I felt, I felt not only loss of identity because I had been teaching yoga for 20 years at that point um, and I Felt a sense of shame, and um, but the most dramatic moment actually came when uh, right before that overdraft protection <sighs> check came, when oh. I was like, I pushed so hard to open, mm. and I got that first, you know, savior check, mm-hmm. and then I s- felt like such a failure when I still couldn't make the rent the next time, and I remember hearing like when I used to be a part of a church a while ago, I used to hear people talking about fighting with God. And I never knew what that meant until mm-hmm. I did. And I remember just having this sense of you made me this way. I can't do anything else. And right. you, know, you gotta show up for me. And whether it was, you know anything else, or whether it was being or spirit showing up. Um, I I choose the second. I choose the latter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And it, and correct me, this doesn't apply to you, but a lot of times when I hear those stories, it's not always a singular thing. Like it, right? Like the universe is like, I am showing up. However, on your course curriculum of life right now, this is what showing up looks like. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you're in the difficult part of growing who you are it doesn't mean you're abandoned but it doesn't mean that it's goal oriented and that's why i think is really confusing about being in such a patriarchal and linear society it's like mm-hmm. but i did everything right and life is like well the storm still comes honey right. right and you're being you're being
1: carved out in ways that you don't even know at this point like i couldn't see that i was being carved out and that my you know, so that my drum could play with a lot greater resonance.
0: Exactly. Because after the storm, and then I'll stop with the metaphors, but seriously, when there's a <laughs> tremendous storm and you go outside after everything is shining. Yeah. So, so much easier to remember this. If you're sitting in your car, listening to when you're after the storm, it, it's very dark. I can, for myself, it's not oh, like, after the storm, I'm like, I knew this, you know, but each time your storm comes, you access another layer of standing in your faith. Right. But you, mm-hmm. to stand in it, you have to fall down in it. Right. Like that's how people learn to walk and horses and birds fly and snakes lose, you know, their skin. Right.
1: Yeah. absolutely.
0: So honey, thank mm-hmm. you for your story because there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Mm-hmm. And what would you say? Like, I I want to congratulate you're teaching zoom classes, which were hilarious. I don't know if you still are, because you went back outside, not the classes so much, but the promos were just really fun. And then you made a declaration that you were like, Hey, guess what Instagram is? And you're, you, uh, you peaced out. I peaced out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to us about that because I think it's, that's a lot about perhaps what the flame you're tending now and not just so much about Instagram. If. uh-huh
1: mm-hmm. yeah so it is also a little bit of that loss of identity um to be off social media and still trying to um promote my like, classes and and there's you know of course there's the utilitarian i need to continue to keep the studio going and and mm-hmm. um, financial peace which is essential, uh, but also I started to really feel that being on Instagram, the hoops that I needed to jump through in order to keep people engaged um, mm-hmm. in my classes, and to also feel like I was leading um, in a way that felt Integris started to feel incongruent with how I was participating in this movement. Um, mostly incongruent because I was discovering that I was being very vigilant in the way that I was engaging with mm-hmm. social media and Um I realized that that hypervigilance is a symptom of trauma. Um, So I was beginning to traumatize myself with the hypervigilance of uh, what I was letting in. And I was also, um, I was putting so much out, like these steps. How can you um, participate in practicing yoga off the mat was my question So I was gathering a ton of information so that I could make it really easy for folks to engage in the movement. Say they're not comfortable um, going to marches and protests um, or they're not feeling the time availability to email all these government officials. Let me just wrap it up for people, make it super simple. Here's the petition. Here's the donation.
0: Let me pause for one second. What movement? Because there's a lot happening. So let's talk a little bit about that. And I don't want to interrupt you, but I want people to be on the track that you're leading us down. Mm -hmm. So
1: uh, a lot changed in me after the police killed George Floyd. A lot changed for our world. And the movement that I'm talking about is this response to that killing and to all of the killings, and it's an uprising, and it, I, I'm moved by that, and um, so I feel like I'm joining that movement in a, in a way that feels very palpable. In many ways, like you, I've been part of that movement in that I've been resisting dominant culture conditioning. Mm-hmm. of patriarchy and white supremacy and capitalism in small and big ways for some time. But this movement um, Black Lives Matter and
0: uh, movement
1: for life is what I'm talking about when I say that.
0: Mm-hmm. Thank you.
1: Yeah. And I say, just to clarify why I say for life is because one thing I've learned is that we do tend to think of um, animal rights or um, trans rights or environmental justice, um, clean water, Black Lives Matter, um, indigenous land rights. We tend to think of those as all separate issues, but I, I really am seeing them as one issue of um, standing up for life.
0: That's um, why I can I can see that I can see that in health I can see that in um, what's trying to get brought to attention with children
1: yeah. um,
0: vaccines environment I told, I I agree with you especially we have a common respect for indigenous culture yeah and that's based on the the sustainability of life yes. like <laughs> literally. Right. And that to teach children that all lives matter, meaning before anybody, meaning water, grass, winged for, you know, like their comprehension of life is not just about a human species. Right. That's one thing I think we could all um, Mm -hmm. ground into because we can't even seem to understand that all humans. You know, so anyway, I just want to say I totally um support that there seems to be an, a, a desperate need for us to understand the preciousness of life. And you know, that ties into
1: why I got off of social media because I was forgetting. I was, for one, you know, the kind of the deal breaker was learning how much money Mark Zuckerberg makes and really wanting to pull away from white male billionaires and supporting them so that I can focus on supporting my community. And in that, I was really, in just the first week of getting off social media, I stopped having nightmares that I was having. I started mm-hmm. sleeping better. I got to the Wissahickon more. And I actually have more energy for going to protests. And I've had some mm-hmm. of the most fabulous connections since then and and I was also discovering that pulling out of that rat rat race Uh you know I is not not everybody is ready to do that or it's right for everyone so I want to say that for me it was right um, because the pace was not sustainable and there was an illusion that if I only effort more and more and more, I will get more results. I will have, um, say, um, like a more consistent student body or a larger student body. And I also was not seeing that. I was seeing more followers, but I never wanted followers anyway, like in in real life. In- <laughs> I definitely wanted more followers. But there wasn't, uh, there. it didn't translate, having more followers didn't translate to having real on the ground
0: um, community participation. I think that's a really important illumination too. And I, I, I really, there was a po- part of your post, I, I don't remember exactly where, but it said something like, I'll look you in the eye when I see yeah. you.
1: Yeah, I want us to look each other in the eye and maybe cry together mm-hmm. when we see each other. And yeah, that felt really important, not only to soften like calling Mark Zuckerberg a prick, but also to <laughs> to, to
0: it felt really
1: what was underneath calling him a prick was like <laughs> is that I want the matriarchal net. To be strengthened.
0: Well, I thought. Well, that's such a beautiful um, reminder to us that, uh, for me, social media is supposed to be a vehicle to get back together into community, you know, like, mm-hmm. or to reach a larger community, but not to abdicate that human need. It becomes very unbalanced, and I think also um, that people are getting a little too accustomed to that. That's an option. It's it's not an option. Mm-hmm. You're, you need to be in community, whatever that means for you. It, it's a human necessity. It's not, it's not a luxury. So, um, I, yeah, I really, I, I loved that concept. Um, not the, con- The cho- it's not like, I don't want to say the choice because that's like, Oh, I'm, I love the concept that you're reminding people of that we're still a community and we can choose where we put our energy in. And, um, so talk to me about, that episode and the movement and what are, what is the community that you, and I also want to talk a little bit about your program because how did those, how that might've changed, right? Like I would imagine also being a teacher, like everything that influences you influences how and what you teach. That's the nature of teaching, right? As we grow, we grow, what we teach. So I'm imagining that maybe that has had some influence on.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I will say, um, it's also not an e- I'm moving out of either ors in mm-hmm. many ways. So just because I say, OK, I disabled my social media accounts, mm-hmm. you may see me pop up on my husband's here and there
0: and just steal it. You know, for a well, second. that's in, that's, but that's important, thing. right? Like yeah. you might. Yeah you might have recalibrated what your relationship is with it and find it as a tool. I'm hearing you unplug from the addiction of it or the rat Thank race of you. it. Thank you. I just mm-hmm. wanted to,
1: clarify. for sure. And so, yeah, this this I feel like I've been, I've been changed a lot. You know, I, at the beginning of quarantine till now, I don't even recognize yeah. myself. I physically look different. I, um, I, I, Yeah, there's been so many sheddings of skins that I no longer recognize myself, and yet I feel more true to myself than ever. And that episode, um, We uh, All Need to Be on a Move, it it started with me being at a protest. It was um, protesting mass incarceration, And there was a speaker whose voice just shook me. And Mm -hmm. I learned because he was saying this, he was saying to the police, um, he was saying, you are affected by this system too. He wasn't Mm -hmm. the police. He was saying um, the military is affected by this system. The police are affected. He was saying, "It's not this us against them, you know." Sense, and and he was on fire. He was mm-hmm. on fire, and I learned his name is Mike Africa Jr. Mm-hmm. and uh, he was part of the Move organization. And man, I hadn't heard of the Move organization for years, specifically mm-hmm. since I was since like 1985, right. And I was nine years old and how I heard about move was on the TV Mm
0: -hmm. where
1: this woman named Ramona Africa was on the TV, black woman dreads Um, and this guy, John Africa was also on the TV, uh, also a black man. And I wasn't told that the police had just bombed their home and that Ramona was the, only adult survivor, and that 11 people were killed, including five children. I wasn't told about the endless brutality of police on their family. And they were in West Philly. You know, I, I was told through the news that these were scary people. And specifically, my mom said um, that Ramona Africa in particular was a monster. And she would say, that if I got out of bed at night, Ramona Africa was gonna come get me. And this was one of the first memories of being indoctrinated into racism from my family, um, because specifically the monster was the black skin and the knotted hair. Mm-hmm. And I, as I remembered that, I got really curious. That's part of how intuition works for me Mm -hmm. is that there'll be a memory that's triggered. And then all of these possibilities where my rational mind will say, no, she's probably not even alive anymore. Mm -hmm. And my intuition says, but what if, and Mm -hmm. my mind says, "Um, well, God, it would be amazing. Or my intuition says, it would be amazing to have a conversation with her. And, my mind says, oh, you think she'll want to talk to you? you know? And then, but the intuition wins and it keeps going, it keeps getting more curious. And before I knew it, I was not only just talking to Ramona Africa
0: hmm.
1: and had her like on my phone and were like texting each other, but also I was talking to other surviving members of the Move 9 who you know, I'll let let anybody listen to the episode that they want but collectively they served um over 200 years in prison for a crime they didn't commit and emerged as resilient loving people Uh, and they rocked my world Mm -hmm. and that changed a lot for me that got me on a move as they
0: say Do you feel like that was, I mean, you've, you've been doing healing work or holding space for healing or ha- whatever is a term that is comfortable for you because the word healing can have many connotations. I'm not mm-hmm. sure you know, where that lands for you, but to have an image that was seated and have that conversation with that fictitious, because in that moment she was fictitious, right? Like fictitious. she was, right. Um, to be that be the moment where you're having that conversation can you describe a little bit of what that does to someone who was previously teaching about healing and life and how spirit works
1: he challenged a lot for me it, um, it was a process of I was kind of already in this process of um, kind of like turning over every stone around me
0: mm-hmm.
1: of dismantling my own condition, racism. I was already in a process like that. I was already in a process of looking at internalized patriarchy in terms of how I related to my own emotions. Um, and it's just turn the volume way up so now it felt like it felt like a challenge in the sense of anything that i was wrestling with or was seeing that there was a need for say a white western yoga teacher to speak into things that were not being spoken by yoga communities anything I saw a need to speak into, there was yoga philosophy that could illuminate that need. And I've been so geeked out with yoga philosophy for so long that it became this challenge. I could see something that was a need and a desire to speak to it. And then I could identify in my kind of Rolodex of yoga philosophy. Oh, oh, yoga philosophy definitely talks about ignorance as the root cause of suffering. And mm-hmm. also it, it changed the way that I taught classes. As far as holding space for healing, um, I, my capacity grew with what I could be with because I now had different languaging and perspective around the source of injury and the process of recovery. And even though I might not still have language for that new perspective or capacity, it's a felt sense that runs very deep.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your commitment to everyone needing to be on the move, right? Mm -hmm. Aside from your podcast, and it's okay, it's, actually not, if, if you, if this answer comes to you later, I can link it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, would there be something, is there a resource that you, if someone's like, okay, hmm, I like how Don talked about this. Where would I begin? I'm not asking you to solve their problems. I'm just wondering if there's something that you came across aside from your podcast that they could access that you felt like, this is i'm adding to my toolbox cuz i think as teachers we gather metaphors or books or poems or resources and we can just leave them for people
1: mhm yeah and it's mainly through like who i'm meeting mhm then then the information comes of how to support them or what is the next thing i'm curious about and one person i met 2 days ago who I've been a fan of for a little while. I've seen her at protests and, um, because that's the thing is like, what I'm realizing is that people I'm a fan of, like they're, I'm meeting them. They're just one hello away. (laughs) You know, a humble hello away, even though I might be a little bit shaky or insecure. But one person I met two days ago, she goes by the hook, Black Rap Medusa, mm-hmm. and it's spelled Mad USA. <sighs> and man, this powerhouse tells stories of being incarcerated herself. She is a black woman. She's, um, she identifies as gay. She talks about the needs of incarcerated people and and specifically women coming out of prison. And yeah, she and plus she she raps and she does hip hop and she did this whole show of um four mothers in hip hop, you know, where she was raised by four different mothers and she was also raised by hip hop. Mm. Um, she has this gorgeous voice and these, like, really, really like catchy um, raps and stuff. And, and so she's been an amazing resource. Uh, following Mike Africa Jr.'s work has been amazing. Um, I also just saw his show, Born on a Move, because his parents were part of the Move Nine and he was born in a prison cell. His mom um hid her pregnancy and then hid her delivery inmates helped her by singing and coughing and she delivered um mike africa jr in her prison cell and she managed to hide him for three days um so that he could be skin on skin tremendous and yeah so following these people um yeah, Black Rap Medusa, Mike Africa Jr., and um, and this woman who runs the Philadelphia chapter is part of Philadelphia chapter of Black Lives Matter. Her name is Yane, and she she is a tremendous teacher, and she talks a lot about um, restorative justice and recovery from sexual assault, and mm. um, and the, it's been spontaneous meeting these folks. Yane, I met on the trail, at the Wissahickon. Um,
0: yeah. I appreciate, I'm glad I asked. I'm glad we didn't prepare that question. Yeah. Um, because when you're connected to what's being asked of you, just like life can sometimes level you, it then can just sprout all around you where like the step lights up, right? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And, I, and so I encourage, if you're listening to Dawn speak and there was something in you that was like leaning forward and then, you know, your intuition was leaning into something and then your mind goes "Mm -mm," like, like, Oh no, wait, that's common to hear myself try to negate myself. Mm -hmm. Let's lean back into that and whatever that inspired step is for the listener, you know, and that might not reveal itself in this moment, but I, I appreciate you. And I appreciate your um, humility because I think, when you are seen by, and by quite a few people as a community leader. And again, back to the outer narrative, it's like that that would be a static position. But uh, mm-hmm. the, pow- the power of teaching is learning. And I know we share that in common. You know? yeah.
1: yeah, and I will share that I was in a process at the beginning of quarantine of learning Sanskrit. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, and I had a fabulous teacher, and I had to stop those sessions. I realized um, as the volume got turned way up of um, these protests and, um, and just the brutality, all the information coming out, I realized I was too traumatized to learn Sanskrit, and I faced a... Um, a sense of failure in needing to stop those classes. And I realized I'm not stopping, I'm just putting it on hold until my nervous system feels more stabilized. And Mm. now I'm almost ready to call that teacher back up again. Um, But just I I feel called to share that because um, we have great aspirations in our learning too and sometimes our experiences with trauma change our capacity to learn,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and you know, I would be lying if I said I didn't feel some sense of failure around that, and that I'm recovering um, from that, and feel like I've given myself much greater permission to. No, it's totally okay to put it on
0: hold. Right? <laughs> That's cyclical. That's being in the cycle of life and knowing when the pause and the go is that's beautiful can you talk to us a little bit about that's a perfect transition point as we're rounding up to talk about the inner journey talk about it as a courageous space for journeying inward to find true grace and resilience with the support of community can you talk to us a little bit about that
1: i'm so happy you said the word courageous space i just did this wonderful training um called, I'm going to plug, Michelle sure. Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, still in action. And she talked about um, not using the words, why she chose not to say safe space because mm. she said um, for one, I don't know what safe is for each person and also um, that the culture is not safe. And mm. so I I started saying courageous space in that I wanted to create a container that um, worked to really create a sense of, um, as much as I can, safety, meaning I'm honest about my limitations. Um, I am honest with how I'm relating to the teachings and also that encouraged courage, which, you know, it's big heartedness. And so the inner journey program is a big hearted deep dive in our journey, which is a five month, um, mentorship and, and learning, learning how to look through a lens of, um, drawing oneself near as we're learning things that we didn't know about ourselves and about mm. a, about yoga philosophy and um, things that we discover in meditation and in in a big hearted small group and mm. uh, that there's a lot of intimacy to that. So in the Inner Journey program, if there's one thing that is the biggest message that I could put forward is this process of drawing oneself near. And I learned this in um, intensive trauma counseling, uh, how to draw myself near, because that was the last thing I would do when I would feel triggered or when I would learn something of my ignorance, you know, um, I would pile suffering on top of suffering. And also when I experienced an emotion that was difficult, I would then get very upset at myself for having a difficult emotion instead of inquiring, what is that emotion trying to help me with? Mm. Um, what it, why is it arising in this time? So the Inner Journey program serves to help folks draw themselves near as they're learning what's been with them all along from the language of their emotions to um,
0: the sheaths of their own being. So yeah, I guess I'll stop there. Oh, that's nourishing, just that invitation. Mm -hmm. It begins on August the 23rd? Yeah, August 23rd. We're gonna, uh,
1: there's still spaces available and a lot of times I have people join at the last minute because all of a sudden they just no. know, yeah. you know yeah. how that is and, or life, you know, opens up for them and they say, okay, it's my turn. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start off. I have some folks who are out West and are going to join. That was my next
0: question. So you, yeah. it's not geographically limited this time. Exactly. So
1: it's going to be available over zoom and for the folks who are local and would like to uh, meet in person, then we're going to meet at Penn park Mm -hmm. and yeah, there's an application on my website, motherheartstudio.com.
0: Perfect. So motherheartstudio.com and the inner journey podcast can be found on anchor or any um, platform for your podcast. Is that correct? Yeah. Anchor, Apple, Spotify. Yeah. On, thank you so much for making the time to share your, your brilliance with us. I really appreciate it. And you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you
1: too, sister. Thank you so much for having me on. And what a wonderful
0: creation you've created here,
1: co-created.
0: Thank you. I think that's what we can do, is share what we have. And you do it beautifully. You really do. Mm-hmm. So go check out um don at mother heart i'm gonna say it wrong now now so i'm glad i'm re-asking <laughs> it's mother heart sangha home
1: um it, close it website started when we were still mother
0: heart studio right. so motherheartstudio.com thank you love i'm so sorry for that motherheartstudio.com thanks Don. have a beautiful rest of your day thank you. thanks
1: sister take
0: care